Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch that I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And that's as far as we're going to get tonight, Lord willing. So if you remember it, when we were last together, in the last verses of chapter 10, Paul has just stated that the Jews did hear the gospel, but they didn't obey it or believe it. So God saved Gentiles in large numbers to show the Jews that salvation is by God's grace and mercy and not by man's efforts. Remember where we, last week we looked at the fact that the Jews thought you had to earn it and you had to do so many things. And so in order to help the Jews realize that salvation is not by what you do, but by God's grace, he took the people that they considered the worst of the worst, the heathens of the heathens, and he saved them and gave them righteousness. And it was to show the Jews, it's not by what you do, but by my grace. These people that you consider the worst sinners of all, they're going to be going to heaven. And you're going to miss out because they're going to receive it by faith and you're going to keep trying to earn it. Now, Paul quoted Isaiah 65, verse 2 at the end of Romans 10. Look at Romans 10, 21. But of Israel... He says, all day along, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Go to, go to Isaiah 65 and look at verse 2 again. Where This is where Paul's quoting from. Isaiah 65, verse 2. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. Now, so the natural question comes now again, is God done with the nation Israel or, the, or national Israel? If God has, as Paul has been laying out, saved the Gentiles to make Israel jealous, as we're going to see as well again later on in our study, and he's held his arms out to the nation of Israel over and over and over, but they rejected, is he done with them? Now, this is very important, and I'm glad to see a lot of you out there going, no, no, and that's good, because unfortunately, a lot of Christians today are being taught that God is done with national Israel, 
and that the church has replaced Israel, and all the promises for Israel are now going to be fulfilled in the church. And as much as it's true that the promises for Israel are ours in the church, and we get to experience them now, and we'll get to be a part of them as God rebuilds one people, if you will, Jew and Gentile for eternity, but to say that God is done with the nation of Israel, and unfortunately a lot of Christians are being taught to be pro-Palestine, is unbiblical, and you're going to see here in Romans chapter 11, and hopefully by the end of tonight and when we meet again in a couple of weeks, uh, I want you to understand that God's word is very, very, very clear. He is not done with national Israel for many reasons, and we're going to begin to get into that tonight. So look again at verse 1 of Romans 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people, meaning the Israelites? What does is, what is Paul say next? By no means. Actually, you could translate it, perish the thought. That's stupid thinking. Look at verse 11. So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? What does he say again? By no means. Perish the thought. That's stupid thinking. Go to verse 25 through 27. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Keep reading. As regards the gospel, the Jews are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And so in other words, as we're going to see tonight a little bit and a lot more when we meet again in a few weeks, I want you to understand that Paul's laying out that for lots of reasons, but one of the main ones being that God has made promises to national Israel that have to be still fulfilled God is not done with national Israel, even though they did not obey the gospel, even though they would not submit to it, even though he's saving Gentiles, did you catch it, to make Israel what? Why would he waste time trying to save Gentiles to make Israel jealous if he's done with Israel? He's not done. And that's of extreme importance for us, especially in the church today, to understand that we have been, as we're going to see when we get back together and start in verse 17 and following, you're going to see that we've been grafted in by God's grace and we should never think that we're better than them. And we're going to deal with that when we meet again. But for tonight, what I want to do is I want you to see that God will not only save all of national Israel that survives the tribulation period. More on that when we get into uh, the end of chapter 11. But God has always had a remnant of Jewish believers all throughout Israel's history. Believers who had faith in God's provision for their righteousness. Let me say that again. God has always had, Paul says here in Romans 11, He's always had a remnant of Jewish believers through all aspects of Israel's history. Because it's always been by His grace and not by their effort. And there's always been Jews, national Israel, who have been believers in Jesus Christ or believers in God's provision for their sin. Let me just make a little commercial for when we meet back together in a, in a few weeks. At the end, I think it's the end of September. Go to Jeremiah 30 and look at verses 4 through 7. We have already read a little commercial for our next study in Romans 11, 25 and following how all Israel will be saved. But that, that doesn't mean if you're a national Israel, you're automatically in. No, it's all Israel that survives the tribulation period. That's why Jesus in Matthew 24 and he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Listen to Jeremiah 30, verses 4 through 7. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Thus says the Lord, 
We have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It's a time of distress for who? Jacob, it's Israel. Yet he shall be saved out of it. There's going to be Jews that survive the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble, the time of a woman in labor, the time of the birth pains. I don't have time to get into it tonight, but if you do a study of the Old Testament, there are a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament about the tribulation period that is still coming, the seven years left in Daniel's prophecy of Daniel 9, 20 through 27, and it's called the time of Jacob's trouble, but it is in many different places, Micah chapter 5 and other places, Isaiah 13. It's described as a time of a woman in labor. And in Matthew 24, Jesus was asked by his disciples, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And as he lays out the tribulation period, how there's going to be an antichrist, and there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilences. He's listing the seals as they're going to be opened in Revelation chapter 6. But he said, these are just the beginning of, listen closely, the birth pains. There's a specific time period called the time of a woman in labor, the birth pains, that is yet to happen. And when the church has been raptured and God finishes what he promised for the nation of Israel, that time of Jacob's trouble is going to be a day none like it, a time period none like it. Jesus himself said, if he doesn't cut it short, no human being will survive that time period. But did you catch the end of Jeremiah 4, chapter 30, verse 7? Yet is, but Israel will be saved out of it. They'll be put through a purification. Many will die. National Israel is not done. It is not done. And just going back to Romans 11, listen to what Paul said in verse 2. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? He says, Lord, they've killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? And then God says, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, Paul says, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. In other words, because of their faith. But if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Write this down. Look at it later on. You go back to 1 Kings 19, verses 14 through 18. 1 Kings 19, 14 through 18. That's the episode that Paul was referring to when Elijah said, I'm the only one left. I'm the only righteous one. They've done all this stuff. They're all so wicked. The nation is so bad. There's nobody righteous but me. And God says, get over yourself. Actually, I'm keeping track of those who have faith and those who don't. And there's 7,000 right now in the nation of Israel that haven't bowed their knee to Baal and they haven't done that because of their faith in me. And he said, so too, Paul says, so too right now at the time Paul was writing this letter, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. There is always going to be believers in the nation of Israel. And especially at the end, those who survived the tribulation period, the book of Jeremiah actually says that every Jew will know the Lord. You won't even need a preacher or a teacher saying know the Lord because everybody will know him. The whole nation will, that survives will be saved. He's not done with the nation of Israel. More on that a little later tonight and like I say when we meet in a few weeks. But I want to just chase something real quick along this line. We too may feel the same way about the church like Elijah did. Anybody looking around and saying church ain't looking too pretty right now? 
Lord, am I the only one that's following you? Lord, am I the only one that's trying to be faithful and the church is sick? Well, I just want to let you be reminded of a few things from Scripture and let Jesus speak to you. Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Oh, what we look at in the church, what we call the church, may not look too good. And you're correct. It doesn't look too impressive, as you're about to see, as Jesus wrote letters to the churches in Revelation. What we look at in the church may not look too good, and it may be kind of sickly. But let me just say this to you first and foremost. The Lord knows those who are his, and the church is fine. The real church. Now, is it our job to figure out who's the real church and who's not the real church? No. Remember, we're not to go separate the wheat from the tares. Oh, there's, there's, there's weeds among the wheat right now in, in the churches, but it's not our job to figure that out. But rest in this fact. The church is fine. The real church is fine. Stop looking at what we call church and let the Spirit of God in His Word show you what the real church is and what He calls church. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Revelation chapter 2. Now remember, these are letters to actual churches in the book of Revelation, you know, Revelation chapter 2, look at verses 18 through 29. Listen to what Jesus says to this church. He says, To the church at Thyatira, and to the angel, or the messenger of the church in Thyatira, write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But, I have this against you, you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works." Oh, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who don't hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the quote-unquote deep things of Satan, to you I say, I don't, lay hold, I don't lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I'll give authority over the nations. And he's going to rule them with a rod of iron and earth as earthen pots or when they're broken on pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I'll give him the morning star. He who is an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here he says to the church in Thyatira, he says, listen, you guys are doing great. I'm watching. But you also got some people in that church who are teaching that sexual immorality is all right. And then I'm okay with it. And they've got this new understanding and new learning. Don't worry. I know who they are. And I know who's fallen prey to the lies of Satan. And I'm going to bring a judgment when I clean the clean house on the churches and I purify my bride. But for those of you that haven't been sucked into that teaching, just hold on to what you have. I'm going to deal with that. And I got promises for those. Folks, are we not living in a day in which churches are saying that sexual immorality is okay now? That God loves everybody and it doesn't matter what your sexual preferences are and all that stuff. And they've even got banners outside their churches to say, you're very welcome here. Should we be eradicating them? No, Jesus says, look, those of you that walk with me and know me, don't try to separate the weeds from the wheat. That's my job. You just keep faithful to what I've taught you. 
You watch out for the false prophets. You don't listen to the false prophets. You recognize them by their fruit. You check what they say against the scriptures. Even check everything Jim Johnson says against the scriptures. But you just hold fast to what you have. I know who's mine and I know who's not. And one of the problems with the church today is the fact that we're trying to separate the weed from the wheat. Jesus says, you be faithful and fundamental, if you will, but you just keep your eyes on me. You keep your eyes on me. In our desire to purify the church, we've forgotten that it's the Lord who's going to purify the church. Go to Revelation chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 6. And to the angel, the messenger of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. You've got more opportunity. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you won't wake up, I'll come like a thief and you'll not know at what hour I'll come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they're worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I'll never blot his name out of the book of life. I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. He wasn't here. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Here he says, look, you have the appearance of being alive, but you're actually not. You're dead. But you have an opportunity to respond. Wake up. Repent. Oh, and by the way, there are still some people there that are okay. Even though the church in Sardis doesn't look so good, there are those who are okay. And I know who you are. And I got promises for you. Again, folks, it's easy for us to look around at what's going on and lament. The church is sick. They're all turning away from God. There's apostasy happening left and right. You know what? The Bible says that was going to happen. What are we who follow him and love him and trust him to do? We're to fix the church. No, we're to walk with Jesus. Hold on to what you have. A judgment is coming. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 says it's time for judgment to begin with the household of faith. With the household of God. And if he's going to purify his church first, what will be the outcome of those who don't believe? But we need to make sure individually we're walking where we are, that we're lined up with his truth. And these warnings to these churches are heeded. Go to John chapter 2. Look at verses 23 through 25. Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Let me ask you a question real quick. Have you ever noticed in the church there were people that you really thought were walking with the Lord, and then all of a sudden a second lifestyle came out? And you are all shocked by it. Happens a lot, doesn't it? There's going to be Judases among us. Is it for us to figure out who they are? No. But know this, folks. The Lord knows the hearts of everyone. He doesn't need people to testify to him about somebody. The Lord knows. The question is, do you know, you? Do you know him and does he know you? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ and are you try striving on a daily basis, to walk in His Spirit, in His power, line with the Word of God, faithful to follow Him and keep your eyes on Him, and not falling prey to the false teaching that's going on in these days. If you look at what we call the church in America, it don't look good. 
But the church, those who know him, and he knows, they're fine. Be one of those people. Rest in that. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Years ago, when I first started this traveling ministry, I used to try to fix all the churches. And God gave me insight and discernment, and I'd see things. And, man, I'd go in, and I'd let them know the stuff that they were doing wrong, and I pointed it all out. And I was not nice about it at times. And I was proud of the fact that, I don't care. You need to hear the truth. And God got a hold of me one day, and he said, that's my bride. Don't you beat up on my bride. I wouldn't feel too good if anybody started beating up on Becky. That's my bride. The Lord said, that's my bride. Are there some things about her that need some work? I'm not talking about Becky. I'm talking about the church. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Are there some things about the church that need some work? Definitely. Definitely. But whose responsibility is it? Jesus. He says, I will build my church. I will build my church. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. I'm a lot easier on the church now than I used to be. Look at 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 14. Remind them of these things and to charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and that everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. We have a tendency sometimes to get into arguments and discussions with people over doctrines and theology and We want to win. God says, don't do that. Don't do that. I love the fact that when Paul set out to go kill the church, put them in prison and put some to death, who showed up? Jesus. Oh, don't miss this. And Jesus said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? Wait a minute. Paul could have said, I'm not going against you. I'm I'm going against these believers, these people of the way. These Christians. Oh, but Jesus takes it personally when people go after his people. Don't you be one of those. Don't you go into the church and be a divisive person. But make sure you're living in obedience to the word of God and following him. He knows those who are his. And his church is fine. Let's not get so focused on, like Elijah did, how everybody else isn't like me. And rest in the fact that he's got it. And as Paul said, all throughout history, there's always been a group of Jews who have believed. Why? Why Why all throughout history? Because at any time and at any moment, we could be taken out of here, could we not? Is there anything waiting? Are we waiting for anything for the church to be raptured? No, Paul expected it at any time. It could happen in his lifetime. And because it could happen at any, any time in history, God always has had... A remnant of believing Jews. Remember, he's got to have 144,000 at the start of the tribulation period. 12,000 from each tribe. Relax. It's all under control. In verses 7 through 10 of Romans 11, 
Paul says, what then Israel failed to obtain when it was seeking? The elect, remember, the elect are those who believe by faith in the only way that God has provided salvation through faith in his provision for their sins. We know it now through Jesus. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David goes on and says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Paul quotes here. I'm going to show you the places where he's quoting from. He quotes from Isaiah 29. Go to Isaiah 29. I want you to see that what's happened to Israel. God had said already back then, because of their rejection of the Messiah, that this was going to happen. Isaiah 29, look at verses 9 through 12. In Isaiah 29, starting in verse 9, Astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. And the vision of all this has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed. When men give it to the one who can read, saying, Read this, he says, I can't, for it's sealed. And when they give it the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I can't read. In other words, here he says, because of their rejection, he's going to give them a spirit of stupor, a, 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 a numbness. It's going to make no sense to them. Even though it was made plain, have they not heard? His words gone out into all the earth, we've already seen. He decides, because you didn't respond when you had the opportunity, I'm going to make it very hard for you to do it. Go to Deuteronomy 29. That's Isaiah 29. Go to Deuteronomy 29. Look at verses 1 through 4. The two places where Paul's quoting from here in Romans 11, verses 7 and following, is Deuteronomy 29, verses 1 through 4. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he had made with them at Horeb. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and the great wonders. But to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Now wait a minute, Jim, doesn't that sound like God determines who can understand and God determines who can see? By the way, is that, that's a yes or no question. The answer is Yes. But if you remember, all through the scriptures, and we've already been seeing this all the way through, he gives eyes to see and ears to hear to those who humble themselves and say, God, show me. Those who want to figure it out on their own, good luck. I've said to people over the years who are super intellectual and, and engineers and very, very smart people, I say to them, I hurt for you. I really do. I like being dumb. Because it's easier for me to believe Yet at the same time, for those of you that are super smart, you're used to figuring things out. And that's how you know how to get things understood. And God says, that's not how it works when it comes to spiritual truth. I reveal my truth to those who come like little children and say, God, I need you to even help me understand it. But you know, if you're willing to humble yourself and say, Lord, is this true? Lord, are you there? Is Jesus the only way? Lord, is your word actually the word of God? If you're willing to humble yourself, and remember, he knows your heart, whether or not you really want to believe. He says, I'll show myself to them. 
You ever think about the fact that Thomas said, unless I see the mark and I touch his hands and all this stuff, I won't believe? It wasn't because he didn't want to believe. He wanted to believe. This is the same Thomas that when they were, he, Jesus was heading back to Jerusalem, Thomas said, let's go and die with him because they knew that they had tried to kill Jesus last time he was there. Thomas loved Jesus. And when he wasn't there that night when Jesus showed up and revealed himself, and the rest of the disciples said, we've seen him. And Thomas says, I want to believe that so bad. But I'm going to need more. I need him to show up. But Jesus knew the heart of Thomas. He really wanted to believe, but he needed help. And Jesus came and gave him what he needed. There are people that say, well, I'll only believe if. And actually, God knows your heart. You really don't want to believe. You just want to be proven right. To those people, good luck. He doesn't reveal himself to those when he knows you really don't want to believe. But if you honestly, really, really want to know if this is true, listen to me. God will show you. But if you want to figure it out for yourself, he's not going to give you eyes to see and ears to hear. Go to Isaiah 6. Look at verses 8 through 13. In Isaiah 6, verses 8 through 13. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it's felled. The holy seed is its stump. This is in the passage where Isaiah is taken by God into the throne room of God, and he sees the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And when he spoke, the threshold shook. And of course, Isaiah says, Woe unto me, my man of unclean lips, that I've seen the Lord of glory, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And of course, God takes, has an angel come and takes tongs and coal from an altar and touches his lips. And then God says, Whom will I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah says, I'm the only one in the room. <laughs> Here I am. Send me. And don't miss this. And then God says to Isaiah, oh, by the way, your message is going to be preached, but not heard. Are we willing to be those mouthpieces in these days? Or do we only want to see success? We're going to be willing to share the truth and let God do with the truth, whatever he wants. We're to scatter the seed and to share the truth where God tells us to go and when he tells us to. But as we do, we must leave the results to the Lord. And many of us have stopped telling people because I'm not good at it and people don't respond. Preacher Jim, you should be the one who tells people. They'd listen if you said it. Look, it has nothing to do with who says it. It has everything to do with the power of the word. But we get caught up in the fact of whether or not they responded. And if they didn't respond, we think we're not good at it. Sometimes God tells us to go tell people just so one day he can say, I told you. Go ahead, Rick. We want the generals to fight the war. That's a good point. But again, Isaiah was told, you're going to be preaching and they're not going to hear it. And I love his question. How long? And listen to what God says. Until the end of the tribulation period. When Israel has gone through an unbelievable time 
of purification. And the cities are going to lay waste. Oh, but Israel will be saved out of it and through it. And all Israel at the end of the tribulation will be saved, but they're not going to really respond real well until then. Are there no Jews that are being saved? No, no. There's always a remnant chosen by grace. Paul also quotes from David's writings in Psalm 69. Go to Psalm 69 and look at how Paul quotes from what David said. In other words, did you catch that? Not only did they hear the gospel, go to Psalm 69, verses 22 through 28. Not only did the Jews hear the gospel, but they didn't respond. God also even told them that this was going to happen to them because of their rejection. Psalm 69, verses 22 through 28. David says this, or the Spirit of God through David. Let their own table become for them, sorry, table before them become a snare. And when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. He goes on and he says, may their camp become a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. For they persecute him whom you have struck down. And they recount the pain of those whom you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal but from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Now, before we go any further, I want you to keep this passage open because there's something I want to show you from this. But before we go any further, please listen closely. This same truth applies to the church age as well. This same truth applies to the church age that God determines at what point you've had enough opportunity to respond, you've had enough light to respond, and he then shuts the door. I'm not going to, because of the sake of time, have you turn there, but write down Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6 talks about those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift. Once God's opened your eyes to your need and you've experienced the fact that this is true, doesn't mean you're saved. Tasting and swallowing are two different things. That it's impossible to bring them back to repentance. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. I'm sorry, through 31. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31 talks about the fact that if we go on sinning deliberately after having received the knowledge of the truth, and that sinning is rejecting the Messiah, there is only a fearful judgment. He says if people were brought to judgment because of the law of Moses, because of two or three witnesses, how much worse will it be for those who have trampled under, under the foot the blood of the covenant which sanctified them? In other words, God showed them the truth. He showed them how His own Son died for their sins. They understood it, and they deliberately choose not to respond. Those people are going to be in trouble. So just like it was for the nation of Israel, God says, look, I'm going to give you opportunity. I'm going to give you... How gracious is God? He's very gracious. Have you ever thought about the fact that when, when, when um, Abraham is in chapter 15 of Genesis being told that his people are going to go into slavery and they're going to come out 400 years later with great wealth. And you're going to go into this land of the Ammonites and the Moabites and so on and you're going to be used by me to wipe them all out. The time that he used at that time to use the nation of Israel to judge them was a time of the judgment for those wicked nations. But listen closely. He says, but the sin of the Amorites hasn't reached its full measure yet. In other words, 
I'm doing something in the people of Israel, and you're going to go through a purification in the land of Egypt, and you're going to be enslaved for 400 years, but when it's time, I'm going to bring you out, and I'm going to use you as a tool of judgment against these nations, but I'm going to give them 400 years because I'm gracious and I'm merciful. And even during the tribulation period, as much as God's revealing, there's still an offer to be saved. There's still a call. There's wrath being poured out, but there's still a call to respond. But there comes a point where God says, okay, you've had your opportunity. But go back now and look at what David says, or God through David says about the nation of Israel. Look at verse 25 again. He says, may their camp become a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents, for they persecute him whom you have struck down. And they recount the pain of those whom you have, who, those who you have wounded. And to add to them punishment upon punishment, may they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Let me ask you a question. This sounds pretty final, doesn't it? And it's talking about the nation of Israel because of their rejection of the Messiah, the one whom God struck down. So is he done with national Israel? I mean, looks pretty final, doesn't it? Is he done with national Israel? Good answer, because we'd have to start all over again if you, had, if you didn't say no. What does Paul say? Good, look again at verse 11, chapter 11. So I asked, did they stumble in order they might, that they might fall the nation? By no means. Perish the thought. That's stupid thinking. Rather, through the, their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Why? To make Israel jealous. Paul says, actually, look at verse 13. He says, I'm speaking to you Gentiles in as much that I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I've been chosen by God to go preach this good news to the Gentiles. And I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. In other words, I want to see some of them saved now. And I want the nation as whole to come to faith. And I know that he's using Gentiles to make Israel jealous. And I'm going to see as many Gentiles as I can see get saved to make Israel jealous. Because I want to see my people Israel get saved. In the end, God is going to fulfill all of His promises to national Israel because of His word to the patriarchs. We already saw that earlier in chapter, chapter 11, verses 25 through 29. His, his promises and His gifts and His call are irrevocable. And He's made promises to, the, to the, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's next time we get together in three weeks. When we get back together, I'm going to show you from the Old Testament those promises that were made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and how they have to be literally fulfilled or God broke His word. But what I want to do in the time that we have left, in the 20 minutes we have left, I want to deal with something that Paul says and then read to you, just read to you some Old Testament prophecies and let the scripture, which is so clear, speak for itself. Look at what Paul says again now in verse 12. He says, if their trespass, Romans 11 verse 12, if Israel's trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Look at verse 15. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? He says, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. In other words, don't miss this. And we're going to lay this out for the rest of our time tonight. And we're going to deal with it more when we come back together. God's plan all along was to use the people of Israel, the people that he created, the people that he chose to reveal himself to the world, and even in their sin, he's going to use their sin to show his glory and his grace. And if in their sinning, his glory and his grace has increased to the whole globe to see it, how much more glorious will it be 
when the nation of Israel too now comes and says, Jesus is the Messiah. A nation that right now won't even read Isaiah 53. A people who won't have anything to do with Christians believing in Jesus the Messiah. He's your Messiah. He's not our Messiah, they say as a nation. Oh, but folks, the Bible says on that day when God pours out his spirit upon the national Israel. Remember, he's taken us away by that point and he finishes what he's going to do. Israel's going to be saved through it. On that day when he pours out his spirit upon Israel and they look on him whom they've pierced. Think of what a glorious day it's going to be when we together with the nation of Israel are all in Jerusalem worshiping Jesus, Jew and Gentile together. It's going to be an amazing day. No, <laughs> actually, we're going to say he told you, not us. Yeah. Again, go to Deuteronomy 32. I have told you this over and over and over. I hope you've been doing it. You got to read Deuteronomy 32. I'm not going to read the whole passage because of time, but in this passage, I'm going to just read a little few parts, and I want you to go back and look at it yourself later on. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 31, verse 30. Then Moses, chapter 31, verse 30, Then Moses spoke the words of the song until they were finished in all the ears of all the assembly of Israel. Here's the song of Moses here, chapter 32, verse 1. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Oh, they have dealt corruptly with him, and they are no longer his children, because they are blemished. They are crooked in a twisted generation. Do, do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he'll show you, your elders, and they'll tell you. When the Most High gave, the inheritance, gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the numbers of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, that's Israel, his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land and in a howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. And the Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land. He ate the produce of the field, and he suckled him with honey out of the rock. And out of the flint, oil out of the flinty rock, and it goes on. But look at verse 14, uh, 15. But Jeshurun, another name for Israel, grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. Jump to verse 21. They made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols, so I'll make them jealous with those who are no people. I'll provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. And then he talks about his anger. Look at verse 28. For they're a nation void of counsel, and there is no understanding in them. If they were wise, would they understand this? They would discern their latter end. How one, could one have chased a thousand, and two have put ten thousand to flight, unless the rock had sold them, and the Lord had given them up? For their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves, for their vine comes from Sodom, from the vi sorry, comes from the vine of Sodom, and the fields from Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison, their clusters are bitter, their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of ass. Is this not laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine in recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. 
For the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. Listen closely now. For the Lord will vindicate His people and have compassion on His servants. When He sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free, then He'll say, Where are their gods and the rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them come to be your protection. See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. I'll make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the, avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. God says, look, you were my chosen. I created you, but you got fat and you rebelled. You worshiped demons, false gods. You burned your, I didn't read those verses, you burned your children to these false gods. So I'm going to take a people you don't consider a people and make you jealous. And I'm going to pour out my wrath upon you, but in the end, I'll purify you. And I'll cleanse my land as I judge all the wickedness around me. Go to Jeremiah 30. I'm just going to let the scripture speak. There's tons of prophecies about the day that is coming. When Israel believes. Jeremiah 30, look at verses 1 through 24. The word that came from Jeremiah to the Lord. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will bring them back to the land that I gave their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. These are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Judah and Israel. Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? Why then do I see every man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is so great, there's none like it. It's a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. And it shall come to pass. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, and I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more be made, make a servant of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from far away and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will dis discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable, and your wound is grievous. There is none to uphold your cause, no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. All your lovers have forgotten you, and they care nothing for you. For I have dealt you the blow of an enemy, the punishment of a merciless foe, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. Why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured, 
And all of your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered. And all who prey on you, I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. Because they have called you an outcast, it is Zion for whom no one cares. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob, and have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound, and the palace shall stand where it used to be. Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving and the voices of those who celebrate. I will multiply them and they shall not be few. I will make them honored and they shall not be small. Their children shall be as they were of old their con and their congregation shall be established before me and I will punish all who oppress them. Their prince shall be one of themselves. Their ruler shall come out from their midst. I will make him draw near and he shall approach me for who would dare of himself to approach me declares the Lord. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. Listen to this. In the latter days you will understand this. Keep reading in Jeremiah 31, verses 1 through 14. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace where? In the wilderness. Where does the tribulation period prophecy say that they're going to run at the end? To the wilderness. But they're going to find grace there. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. <coughs> Excuse me. Again, I will build you and you shall be built. I love this. O virgin Israel. He's going to see him when he washes him clean. He's going to see him as a virgin. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines, and you shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit, for there shall be a day when the watchmen will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Arise, and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel." Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman, and he, she who is in labor together, a great company. They shall return where? Here. Don't miss that. With weeping, they shall come and with pleas for mercy. I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water and straight paths in which they shall not stumble. For I am the father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from the hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. And they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then there shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men shall be, and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul with the, of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Jump over to verse 18. I have heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored. For you are the Lord my God. For after I had turned away, I relented. After I was instructed, I struck my thigh. I was ashamed and I was confounded because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? 
For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Go to Jeremiah 31, verses 23 through 40. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, once more they shall use these words in the land of Judah and in its cities. Listen, this, you're going to see it again. It's the third time we've seen this phrase. You're going to see it important in a second. When I restore their fortunes, the Lord bless you, O, inhabit, o habitation of righteousness, O holy hill. And Judah and all its cities shall dwell there together, and the farmers and those who wander with their flocks, for I'll satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I'll replenish. At this I awoke and looked, and my sleep was pleasant to me. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast, and it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow and destroy and bring harm, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days they shall no longer say, The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that day that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from me before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the fountains of the earth below be, can be explored, then I'll cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they've done, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. And the measuring line shall go farther straight out to the hill Garib and shall turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever. Now, by the way, this is just a small portion of the many prophecies that talk about the fact that in the very end, God is going to regather Israel from all over the globe back into their land. Has what happened in 1948 fulfilled these prophecies? No. Does Israel worship the Lord from now on? Are all the Jews back in the land? No, there's Jews still in, in New York. There's still Jews in, in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> there's, there's still Jews everywhere. But the fact that Israel's back in the land since 1948 is a big deal because of the fact that the prophecy said they had to be back in the land in order for the Antichrist to chase them out, for them to run to the wilderness. For all those things to happen to them, they had to be back in the land. And God, His word is true, and His prophecies are coming to fruition. Now, for the first 2,000 years almost of the church age, there was no national Israel in the land. And so Bible scholars and, and, and theologians would read these promises about Israel and they came up with the conclusion, well, Israel must mean the church because there is no Israel. There was no national Israel in the land for almost, if you do a study, almost the first 2,000 years of the church age, 
Israel had been scattered. And so they just came up with a new theology. But since 1948, some people are waking up and going, Ooh, maybe in the latter days we'll understand this. Israel means Israel. And he makes it clear by saying Israel and Judah and Zion and the land. Folks, let me say this to you. I cannot stress this to you enough. What is God going to do to all those who go against Israel? Oh, he's going to judge them. And I don't care which side of the aisle you're on, Republican or Democrat. Both sides have been telling Israel to divide the land for peace. And Joel chapter 3, verses 1 and following says that on the day that God comes and judges the nations, he's going to judge them according to how they treated the people, his people Israel, these brothers of mine in the parable of the sheep and the goats, and because they divided my land. Folks, what should we be doing as the church? Praying for Israel, looking at these prophecies and saying, Lord, may this happen in our lifetime. May we see you restore Israel. May you, Jesus, come back. We're supposed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And what's the only way peace is going to happen? When Jesus himself, the Prince of Peace, comes and sets up his kingdom on the earth. We should be praying for that. Oh, oh, I can't wait. Do you remember how two or three times I pointed out to you in these prophecies? When I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. Let's close tonight with Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. Listen to what the Spirit of God said through Peter as he was preaching. Acts chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. He says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, talking to the Jews, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Jesus has gone to heaven until when? When he comes to restore all the promises to Israel that he had said. Isn't that cool? Folks, don't forget that God's plan to save the world came through His chosen people, the Jews. The people whom He created for His name and His glory. Remember how in Matthew 1.1 it says that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham. Do you remember saying? Don't miss this fact. Our Messiah, Jesus, is a Jew. And the people of Israel are His chosen people. Have they stumbled? Yes. So that they might fall? By no means. Is God done with national Israel? Perish the thought. That's stupid thinking. Don't fall prey. And we're going to deal with that when we come back together in three weeks. We're going to have no Bible study for the next two weeks. And when we come back together in, in three weeks, we're going to look at the fact that the church today is being taught that the church has replaced Israel. And the verses 17 and following of Romans 11 give a severe warning to that kind of th thinking. But we'll deal with that when the time comes. I love you. We'll see you in a few weeks.